Hey, confidants, it's Teresa. Thanks for listening to You Can Tell Me Anything. This is the podcast where comedians confess something they've never told anyone before. I'm I'm really excited um, because I'm going to be doing some live shows this weekend uh, outside of LA. So if you live in Indiana or Kentucky, you might be able to see me. Um, come and check me out. I'll be um, on Friday, May 31st. I'll be at the Comedy Attic in Bloomington, Indiana. And then Saturday, June 1st, I will be at the back door in Bloomington, Indiana for Limestone Comedy Fest. And Sunday, June 2nd, I will be in Louisville, Kentucky. If you want the details for that show, just follow me on Twitter at Larissa T um, or on Instagram at Larissa T. I'll post the info there. And um, yeah, also I post jokes and other fun thoughts there. So if you like, if you like my thoughts, you might like that too. I'm really excited for you guys to hear this episode. We recorded this in New York City. This is the last uh, New York recording for my trip. I talked to one of my oldest um, friends in comedy mentors I I should say um he was my first improv teacher taught me improv 101 eight years ago at UCB um very talented smart funny man um yeah we just really get into some some very interesting stuff I almost said shit and I just said it anyways you know I swear on this it's fine so uh, my guest is Anthony Tamanik and I think you guys will enjoy it Um, love to know what you think tweet at me enjoy you can tell her, you can tell her anything, she's a real good listener, you can tell her anything. Hey guys, this is Teresa, the host of You Can Tell Me Anything. This is the podcast where comedians confess something they've never told anyone before. I'm uh, very excited because today I have a, my first improv teacher and esteemed comedian. He's the creator of the President Show on Comedy Central, and he just did a one-man show, American Tantrum at Moon Tower. Anthony Antamonic. Hi, Teresa. How, How are, are you? you? That's right. I was your level <laughs> one teacher. Yeah, and level were, three, right? Yes. Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, you taught me improv, and you talked a lot about Carl Jung, and that's... Uh, oh, God, th- I know. No, it was cool, because it's <laughs> funny, because I remember um, you would go off on these tangents, and yes. But they weren't really tangents because they're actually the things that I feel like I remember, like about Carl Jung and about philosophy and life. And yeah. those feed into, you know, writing and improv yeah. more than, I don't know, notes do. I mean, like the notes were like important, but now I don't remember the specifics. But what sure. I do remember is just the idea. You talked about the shadow self and I yes. still tell people about that all the time. And I learned yeah. that in your class, like the thing you get afraid of or the thing that bugs you about other people is usually the thing you don't like about yourself. Yes. Yeah. That's yeah. the sort of, that's the, the, <laughs> the like kitchen table version of it. Right. Yeah. And it's like the shadow. I also don't know it now. It's been years, <laughs> but of before of, from reading him, but like it is a representation of like what I think Carl Jung said once. It's like, if you really want to know who you are, sit on a park bench next to a stranger and talk to them for 10 minutes and then have them assess you. And oh, that's wow. probably the most truthful assessment you'll get <laughs> because they are not colored by sort of the, you know, thing that we build with people that everyone sort of commonly agrees not to tear down certain things, yeah. truths that people know. But, you know, everyone, you have a friend, you know there's a truth about them that you just uh-huh. won't say, you know. And I don't mean it has to be something deep. It could be just like, you know, you're a real petty asshole this way or you're, <laughs> right? Um, and then the idea is that if you, int- it's called integration in psychology, which is the idea is to take the parts of you 
that you don't like or you don't want to look at mm -hmm. and understand that. And this is sort of a different therapeutic thing I also worked on called family parts therapy, which is like, what are the different aspects of your family that are different representations of your personality? Oh, okay. So you know how when like you freak out, you feel like a you almost like you've been taken over. Like if you get really angry or you get irrationally yeah. mad about something or, or maybe it's not anger, maybe it's sadness or I just anger is uh -huh. my number one. Uh, that uh, you, um, it's accepting and understanding that like, let's say there's a part of you that does like, you know, that you say is like your addictive part that does yeah. like a lot of self-destructive things. The idea is to look at what is, the, that part isn't negative. That mm -hmm. part is just, doing what it knows to do to try to protect you. So the idea is to integrate that part, right? And so you could also call that the shadow, the parts of yourself you don't like. So people go, well, I want to get rid of this part of myself or I want to I, I, I end that behavior. And it's like, you can't. That That's uh -huh. you. So you have to instead invite the parts of you you don't want to look at to the party. Oh, have them in front of you so that you can be like, so that eventually you can identify something you're going to do before you do it. Most of us, most people uh -huh. are caught up in basically justifying or trying to back out of the decision they already made blindly. <laughs> so your idea would be to be mindful enough to go, oh, I have this like real instinct to like say this like shitty snarky thing to my partner right now because of this number of resentments that live behind it. Well, why is that part doing that? And then be like, what's, you know, in your head, be like, what's wrong? Why are you irritated or whatever? Let it speak in your mind and then mm. be like, okay, we'll cool. I'll cool you out. I'm going to stay in charge. I'm not going to let you come and take over and then find the constructive way to go. Hey, you know what? I feel like when you do this, it makes me feel this way or whatever. It's like boring shit that like, you know. No, I think, I mean, that's super interesting. Bored. And we talk, <laughs> I think it is perfect for this podcast because a lot of this is inspired by like kind of looking at yourself, self-examination. And yeah. and uh, um, I talk a lot about how sometimes when you're annoyed at people, it's usually because you feel like you can't control something. Yes. So you can start by figuring out yourself. Like, I don't know who said it, but, you know, I think it's a quote that's been repeated a lot, but you can't, um, it's like you can't control the people around you. You can only control the way you react to them. That's very true. And, and yeah, it kind of goes with what you're saying because, yeah. you know, I don't know, it's up to us. Yes, and it's even choices. Like, there are certain people who are toxic for you, right? Yeah. And so you have to make the decision, like, I can't be around that person, yeah. right? Like, that's the other thing. It's, like, not about them changing. It's about going, like, that. this just does not work with this person. Yeah. And then, you know, because there's always the thing of, like, there's the thing where you take responsibility for yourself and how you feel and whatever, and then there's the the other side of it, which is like some people are just assholes uh -huh. and you don't want to be around <laughs> them. And like it's OK, too. I think people will get into the space. I know I have where you get so much where you're like it's all my fault. I should figure out how to, you know, love this person who I can't stand and don't want to be around. <laughs> right. Whoever it is, a friend, a student, a, a partner, a parent. And, you know, sometimes it's like, no, I got to cut it off mm -hmm. or or, you know. I'll say this, like, in respect to, like, a parent. You know, like, I reached a point in my mid-40s where you're like, okay, this is the limit of my parent. This mm -hmm. is the limit of their ability Yeah. in certain areas. They're going to do things that, in their mind, they think they're showing love. Yeah. And to you, it's, like, hurtful uh -huh. and painful because the child gets activated in you. Yeah. So it's like I now, at least for me, when I, those things, I, when I hear them, when they trigger, I go, okay, well, 
I know that I know that they don't mean that. I know that they I know they mean it, but they mean it through some weird prism of like trying <laughs> to love you. And also, your parent also will not like you in some ways. Like your people. Yeah, sure, they're people. Right. Yeah. And so like there are things about my parents I don't like. Mm-hmm. And I'm not gonna ever like them. Doesn't mean I don't love them. Right. Just means I don't like those things about them. I think it's hard. Parent child's probably the hardest one because you yeah. are so they're like gods, you know, and into to them, you're like a pet, like a thing they created that they want to control. <laughs> but I don't so have children, weird, the so idea I don't know. <laughs> no, but that is like, I've always like, it's so bizarre to be like, as a parent, you created this thing and then it disagrees with you. Like, how annoying must that be? Oh, my God. To just be like, I made you and you don't want to believe the things I believe. Yeah. But like as a child, I'm like, yeah, no, fuck you. I'm going to do what I do because I'm a person. Yeah. So I'm an autonomous person. Yeah. But I understand the frustration now as an adult, like why parents try to control their kids. Well, that's why I would never have children. Yeah. Yeah. I'm on the fence. I really want kids because just <laughs> selfishly I think it would be cool to just like grow a baby inside me. Oh, God. But, <laughs> but I also am like, I don't want a child to like go on a podcast and talk about me when I'm, an, when uh, yeah, I'm old. Exactly. Yeah. That's what happens. Yeah, yeah. But the good thing is, is whatever the medium is that they're talking on in the future, you won't even have access yeah, to it. Yeah, I won't or understand to it. That's why I know my mom won't listen to this. <laughs> um, oh, I like yeah. to start uh, by asking for a good confession just to start on a positive note. Is there something you, good you'd like to confess? Let me think. I think my, well, my pro, I'll say this. I have a, a good confession, which is that my friend James Adomian and mm-hmm. I are going to start uh, Trump versus Bernie 2.0, 2.0, 2020. Oh, okay. And uh, we are... July 19th, performing at the San Diego Comic-Con, our new debate, our new town hall style debate. Oh, that's awesome. I play Trump and James plays Bernie. Congratulations. So So I guess that's good. Yeah, that's a good confession. Is that a good confession? Comic-Con, that's huge. That is a good confession. Yeah, I think it'll be a good launching point. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, there you well, go. That's <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Actually, oh, there was something I wanted to bring this up to you because I've talked about it before and I thought it was um, interesting because you're here because sure. I uh, I like stopped drinking. Yes. Congratulations. Um, thank you so much. And I've got, gone in and out of it at times, but like I basically now just don't drink. And I don't know if you know this, but you were the person who got me to quit drinking. Oh, my God. Because I remember we hung out once in L.A. and I was like talking about wanting to quit drinking. Yes. And then I was like, I'm waiting for a rock bottom. And then you said, why are you waiting for a rock bottom? You don't need a new rock bottom. Yeah. And I always hung on to that because I was like, oh, that's really true. And now I'm at a point in my life or journey or whatever I feel like I've uh, taken time away from it enough where I'm like, I may drink again at some point or just drink less but um it really spoke to me because in my mind i was always like waiting for like oh i need an excuse i need like a yeah. really bad thing to happen yeah for me to stop and it was putting it on other people yeah and i wasn't taking responsibility for this thing i wanted to do anyways which is the real thing right and i went through my own program experience but the thing i came out of it from when i went into a different uh type of therapy was uh, you know looking at why i said that to you and like even you saying like, I don't know, I feel good. And I might, it's like, there is no right, Mm -hmm. there is no right answer. And, uh, although I think recovery works for a lot of people and, and God knows sober programs are wonderful. I also think there's a lockstep sort of mentality that was developed in the late or mid Mm thirties, 1930s that hasn't changed. And I think that some things have evolved in understanding the root of addiction and it's not, you know, it's a combination of a disease. It's a combination of environment. Uh, you know, I have the gene for addiction, Mm -hmm. but 
at the same time, I now drink occasionally and don't have a problem with it. But mm -hmm. for years I did, and it was because of where I saw an answer in it. Yeah. But I also can't say that I don't know what <laughs> 10 years. I might, you know, tomorrow go uh, way. I know I use it as a tool, not alcohol, but like anything, any substance or any sort of thing that basically gets my endorphins going. I use it as a tool to get outside of myself. Right. Yeah. So if I know that what I'm doing is I'm trying to get outside of myself and I'm using some tool to do it, whether it's video games, alcohol, cocaine, uh, marijuana, sex, whatever. Uh -huh. That that addictive that 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 thing is autonomous from the symptom or the thing I do, right? Yeah. So for me, that's where I landed on it. So I'm very impressed with you to you did that so early and so quickly. Well, I, and I mean, that's I you. Have your it's help. not me. No, for sure. That I think. Um, I mean, I agree because I think it's the relationship changes, right? It's not the thing yes. itself that's bad. I don't think alcohol is inherently bad. Neither is like sex or drugs or whatever. But, you know, if you have that personality um, or if you're using it in a certain way or you're abusing it. Yeah. Yeah, there's a good quote that's like, use alcohol, don't abuse it. Yeah. And I, I, I think that's true. I think for me, for a while, I found that I wasn't using it. I was abusing it. Yeah. So then I needed to step away. But that relationship can change it's like it's like when it's medicine where you're just like yeah. taking them back until you know you're like out of it and then also i know for me because i actually am not a particularly good i think people think i'm socially good or whatever or that i enjoy people and stuff <laughs> but i really kind of don't and i think for a long time i had been convinced in my upbringing that uh -huh. i was a certain way because of the my parents wanted me to be a certain way. They wanted me to, you know, I was effusive, I guess, as a kid and, and, and active and social, but I also had needed downtime and things like that. And I think I had such a confusion in, in my personality in terms of being a broad personality, let's say, a big uh -huh. personality sometimes, that um, I don't actually really, I get very anxious around people and I'm not very, I think I'm worthless a lot of times and don't want I mean, here's my confession. <laughs> I mean, it, it's true. I mean, uh -huh. I think I'm pretty worthless. I think that I'm not particularly, I think I do like a journeyman's job. Like I figure out how to do something and I make sure to do it well. So I don't think I'm bad at things. Like I think my show was good, for instance. I'm proud of it. I'll you know go to the grave believing the president's show should have gotten a second, third, fourth, fifth season. Or as long show. as Trump was and on. And you were saying things so early. I feel like you were hitting oh yeah we predicted you know, a yeah, lot you were predicting things you were hitting on this like i mean honestly talking about like s the psyche of uh yeah. carl young and all that stuff you were really hitting on like the core truth before people even recognize them which was yeah really cool both of us are stripping now, i know it's so, so hot know. in here it's so I'm hot so in sorry here. but it's really funny because she <laughs> <laughs> took off her sweater right uh, yeah yeah she took her sweater off uh, and so then i looked at her and nodded to unzip my <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, this is not going well. Uh, but now at least we don't have the same shirt, color shirt on. Uh -huh. um, so although I could buy one right there. Yeah, we're in the middle of a store. <laughs> but so, I, I mean, I would say I, that's not really my confession because it's like every comedian says that. But um, No, but it's interesting because yeah. you are someone who I think a lot of people look up to. Uh, and you're like a teacher or you were a teacher as yep. well. And, you know, you taught me and just people see you as this person who like kind of like expert knows oh. all and do you like, want to know the truth sure pure panic almost <laughs> all the time really like i got used to teaching I, I guess like i said journeyman this is one thing my father really taught me that has carried with me is that if it, if i know the thing i'm doing right mm -hmm. like i don't think i'm always the best in an improv scene i think on ruru there's plenty of times where i 
you know, hit, you know, foul balls and people were there uh-huh. to catch them and push it back into, you know, a reasonable zone. I think sometimes I would probably argue maybe as a teacher, I was able to sometimes better observe than I was able to perform. Right. Uh-huh. Um, but I would like go away from classes and be like, did I like, you know, many classes where I was like, did I talk too much? What did I, did I say this horrible thing? Was I too hard on this person? Um, did I really get anything across? Does anyone really, you know, I, I would go through that. And uh, when I perform, I would walk off sometimes satisfied. Most of the time I would be like, oh, I failed. I didn't do it right. Um, so the only thing I knew was if I had fundamentals down mm-hmm. in whatever I did, then I could always rely on the fundamental basically to buttress my insecurity, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, you know, even with the Trump impression, like once I knew we were going on tour, I mean, I didn't do a very good Trump. I, I, people are like, he did so, it was so great right out of the gate. I was like, I've watched videos. Of my first performance with James. It's not a great job. It's kind of like a pretty cartoonish thing. I like used to be when you were. Yeah, I was like, I was talking like this and it was it was bizarre. And it's fine because it was like a basement stage show. So who cares? And that's, you know, from the Tony show, it was always about ballpark. Just hit the ballpark of the character. Who cares if it's particularly accurate? But then when I knew there was money involved (laughs) and I and James is such an incredible impressionist with like, you know, like infinite possible characters he can do and here i am like you know doing a woody allen in my stupid tony show or right didn't you play oh so yeah yeah i probably <laughs> ah. many oh my god we were way ahead of problematic <laughs> right. woody allen uh-huh. we were way ahead that's true those that yeah i mean we were years ahead of like people <laughs> going after ronan farrow and all that uh-huh. but the point being that um I then went to school and just studied him and studied him and was mm-hmm. like, I must know how to do him. I can't not know how to do him. People are paying. So yeah. that's, you know, it's not an, I guess it's like, you know, people be like, it's so you got into psychology and it's, and it's true. I'm not saying it's not true, but it is like, yeah, but at a base level, I was like, I wrotely had to just learn how to do it. It was the least artistic thing I did. <laughs> it was the most just like in the mirror duplicating and then from there, then you can be artistic. So if I know my boundary, I can be artistic. But to connect it to using is that often I would drink to the or use to the degree, mm-hmm. and I would say I still have a huge problem with marijuana. Um, <laughs> I used to the degree that I would then feel comfortable or I could lower inhibitions. Yeah. And then also lowering inhibitions allowed me to do things that in my conscious self, I would be like, you can't do that. That's amoral or that. But if I'm wasted, then who cares? And that was especially in my youth in, in Los Angeles. Right, because then you could blame it on the alcohol, which is still you yeah. on alcohol, but exactly. it feels like it's outside. You think you can blame it on the alcohol, but it's you, then it's you wake you. up the next yeah. day and the bottle's gone. <laughs> yeah. 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 But, well, no, but I mean, like you saying it's not artistic, I actually think that's the most artistic way you can approach something is craft. And that's yeah. what you're describing is craft, is just right. taking the time to learn something. Obviously, you have this innate, um, you know, dr- dr- you're drawn to the thing you want to make and then you're like how do i make it yes and then you like figure out the st- in between steps of like learning the craft or honing it in and that as you're doing it can feel like you're like oh like i i've done this i'm like oh i'm a fraud cuz i had to this was hard yes but actually that's what makes you an artist cuz you had this vision and then you tr- you figured out how to do it see so you, you taught me 
Yeah, you taught me something. <laughs> I don't know. I right? constantly feel like, especially with writing, because it's the one thing that was constant for me growing up. I always wanted to be a writer. I always had yeah. these ideas. But every time I sit down to write, I always feel like I'm doing it for the first time a little oh bit. Oh, my God, yeah. And that never, for me, that's never changed. Yeah. I just know how to barf it out now. <laughs> well, now, yeah, I, I know how to write shitty drafts. But then yes. the funny thing is, after I get the shitty draft out of the way, I go back and read it. I'm like, that wasn't actually that shitty. <laughs> that's my favorite is I'll find. Have you ever done this where you like, you know how you dump shit in your yeah. folder, right? Uh -huh. And the, the computer. And then, or you're like moving stuff from an old computer, mm -hmm. a new computer, and you find like the folder that's inevitably called writing. And sure. you're like, what is this? And you like <laughs> open it up and there's like seven documents that are like half finished yep. multi-paragraph things. And I'll go, and it's been years of, uh, and I'll look at something and go, wow, wait a minute, I'm a pretty good writer. Yep, yeah. <laughs> that is like my favorite. And it's, it, it's the, it's a, but see, there's a, such an interesting lesson that sort of keeps repeating itself in this like corkscrew of like understanding where like a, I get a little bit better each time. Oh, I got to cut my nails. Uh, I get better each time I go up a little bit, which is like now I can like sit at a computer and I can write a one sheet. I can like mm -hmm. summarize something because the preciousness, it's all about the preciousness you have around the thing, right? And yeah. it's the disconnect between what I think in hearing you say it to me is when it's like, when do I stop being a fan? Or like, when do I stop being a fetishizer of something I want to do? Uh -huh. The fetishizer's better. When do I stop fetish? Like, I fetishize. I want to write a screenplay. I want to do this, right? But then you get to doing it, and you're like, ah, oh, fuck. It's not going to be brilliant and perfect, so I'm just not going to do it, right? Perfect is the enemy sure. of the good. But then when you can start dumping shit out on the page and know that even if, like, every sentence but one is garbage, yeah. that one was worth all the others. That for me is uh, a hard lesson to like retain, but uh, I think I've done better now. But like uh, that's that one you just said to me is like that's the hard one. Yeah. Right. But I'm very impressed. <laughs> well, I am. I it's so her, great. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I mean it, Hemingway. I think said like his favorite thing to read on a train is uh, a shotgun manual. <laughs> <laughs> that no is his own his diary because and i used yeah. to think that was like it's so narcissistic but kind of true because i do love going back like when i'm cleaning my computer i'll just spend hours reading my old stuff yeah and the one thing i learned too is that you don't really change as a person like you yeah. might get better or learn more tools or learn more information but ultimately i'm like the person underneath all this like trying to get Same. something out it's like there's this core thing i've been trying to get out themes right yes. you notice They're your themes there. and I'll you're like oh no <laughs> yeah yeah i know i guess i'm like oh i gotta deal with some of this no um <laughs> edward albee i think said he's been writing the same play his or he I guess he's dead now, but he was writing the same play his entire life. And yeah. I really like that because I'm like, yeah, you think you're like getting away from something or you're going to this fiction fantasy world and then you come back and you're like, nope, this is no, just it's me. the same <laughs> story. It's the same. I mean, I see that with like Albert Brooks, for instance, which is like Albert Brooks' stories. One are always centered around Albert Brooks, but they're uh -huh. always the same. The, they're sort of the same tale told a million different ways, right? Yeah. Like, uh, I think that's so true because you think about a person that you appreciate, like, you know, an auteur you appreciate, they are ultimately telling a similar, there's a similar thread, right? That's living through all their work because mm -hmm. you are, I mean, look at Andy Kaufman, Andy Kaufman, which has, who is also a problematic figure in a lot of ways. Right. Uh -huh. Um, you know, and I would argue it's very funny, like reverence we have for like old things like, you know, sure. people have like reverence for Andy Kaufman. And it's true. He did it before anybody else. 
or it, I'm sure other people did too, but he <laughs> did it in a way that was really received and like became big, right? And he was doing sort of Dada-esque art comedy. Mm-hmm. Nobody was getting successful off of he that. He brought it to a mainstream He brought audience. it to a mainstream audience. And at the same time, and I read his, I read the book about him a long time ago and everything. It's also like, yeah, he just basically wanted to do a children's show. <laughs> like he wanted to do a children's show and he loved wrestling. And like those are the two things that he just <laughs> did over and over and over and over again, right? He just did the same version or some version of the same thing, right? I would argue... I mean, listen, I like to think that I am like, you know, diverse and multifaceted. But like the truth is that I do a lot of what ugly sort of aggressive, rude, snarky characters who like have a little bit of love underneath. Right. Uh And that's basically, you know, I don't know. That's probably just basically my shadow playing out on stage. I get to be rude and obnoxious. Uh I get to say exactly what the, the way I behave on stage is how I wish I could be normally with people that I could just like any person just like, you know, stop their bullshit, yeah. stop whatever fucking garbage is happening. Right. And, Cause in my view, people often waste a lot of time. Sure. Right. There aren't a lot of people that you're like, this is worth my time. <laughs> Most you, people are not worth your time. But I do feel like you're pretty, That's I mean, so I'm sure terrible. you're not like doing that to people all the time, but no. I think you're pretty good at like, I mean, you're pretty good at telling someone to stop their bullshit, I feel like, as Anthony, too, right? Like, do, do you think helping... As a teacher, yeah. Doing the characters has helped you be, be able to... Oh, yeah. ...say what you want more? Doing the show and working with actual professionals, you know, doing the television show, talk about fraud. <laughs> like, you get a show and you're like, I haven't even ever staffed in a writing room. <laughs> like, I... And everything I write, I write by myself on, like like hotel like pads uh-huh. like my my writing up to that point even tony show would be like here's this scrawl do this <sighs> i would like tell you your lines and be like just d- give me a ballpark now granted i think my process ended up kind of working well with uh, i i like that the thing i brought to the table was a sort of like buckshot effect of like yeah let's just aim here and see what we hit and then you know, we'll bury it under a couple of layers and we'll write it nice and then it will have a nice feel to it. But, you know, Christine Dangle, Jason Ross, Peter Gross, uh-huh. uh, you know, our diverse and female majority writers room, which I like uh-huh. to brag about because <laughs> I am virtue signaling. Uh, no, but like I like uh, that I had a bunch of people who knew how to um, do, how to pump something out and, and get something done properly, that gave me confidence because one, they could identify where I already was like doing something well and I mm-hmm. wasn't sure. And they're like, no, that's good. That's how you're supposed to do it, right? <laughs> and also they were able to be like, you you are not helping in these areas and <laughs> you could be more effective this way. So one, for people to say to their, technically their boss, this is what we, you know, yeah. I, I like that relationship. We all... I mean, we're, what, two years out, and my EPs and writers and everyone, my editors, my PAs, there's not a person who I still don't know, see, have lunch with. We have get-togethers. Like, mm-hmm. we love, you know, that's one thing I think I am real good at is building, like, a nice, loving space where yeah. everyone feels that they can, like, become something. But the thing was is that everyone did that for me <laughs> in in that space. And I did come out of it far more confident. I now believe I have a voice 
that I can identify. Whereas before I didn't know my voice. I kind of just was doing my thing out of pure grit. All my friends had left New York. Uh I was pretty much alone. And I had this like weekly show, which was the only place I could kind of with Andy Rocco, you know, it was like my, and then he moved to LA. Like (laughs) that was my only space where I felt like, uh, creatively. I mean, obviously I had my home, my wife, and that was, you know, that was obviously a safe space. But besides that, everything started to wane for me. Right. And so I hung on to Tony's show, but didn't know what I was doing. So as an artist, I didn't know what I was doing yet. Now I feel like I know what I'm doing, which also makes me uncomfortable because <laughs> I don't know if I like knowing what I'm doing too much. I want to sort of always stay on the edge of what's ha- what am I, what's, what am I doing so yeah. that I feel motivated. Well, yeah, it comes in waves, I, and I think it's good to feel like you go into a thing, you're like, I now, I now know the lay of the land, and then eventually you'll be back on the edge again, and you'll be like, what is this? And then the next thing will come. Yeah. Um, but talking about getting things out, is there anything you would like to tell me? I, I guess I'm going to tell you that uh, when I was a young man, I was like sort of an incel. Oh, like a men's rights activist type of? No. No, no. I think, though, that my relationship to women when I was in high school and junior high was like really toxic and obsessive. Oh, okay. And like I was not like, I mean, we're talking like like aware in the community, but looking back, that's what it was. Now I look back. I wasn't like, I was not like, um, uh, you know, I mean, obviously things were different because it was the late eighties, early nineties. There were like no message boards (laughs) or anything. So, but I wasn't like someone who was like, yeah, you know, fuck bitches. I don't mean like that, but I mean like, I was obsessed. I would find a girl and get obsessed uh-huh. with her. I would be passive aggressive and aggressive. I would get, there was one girl, Allison Hamilton, I would like leave like chocolates in her locker and like give her roses. And then if she told me she didn't like me, I would be real hostile and passive aggressive. All oh, that okay, shitty yeah. toxic male stuff. So I guess I'm admitting I was a to- I was like a toxic young man. I was yeah. a I had a very bad I had a very poor understanding of women Mm -hmm. and I was aggressive to women and I saw women purely as sexual objects. Yeah. I mean, and I don't think that's uh, uncommon for kids that age, but that's so interesting because obviously you're not like that now and you're, it's Uh, no. And (laughs) just like, (laughs) like knowing you, you're just like very well-spoken, very self-aware and just like have grown a lot. It's interesting to be like, Oh, that's what you were like in high school. Because I think uh, when I I think of Intel now, I think of, adult men who act like babies i don't know yes. i mean i don't spend a lot of time on the message boards but i feel like when i think of like men's rights activists it's people who hung on to something and never like got out of that man child well i think it's period. sad because yes it, i think i think it's like a thinking that has uh geometrically like expanded into mm-hmm. a full i mean all these things because of the internet and yeah, really and it's not like oh, the internet but it's like <laughs> the internet is a printing press that allowed a lot of things that sort of sat in small pockets yeah you know like bacteria that like just sort of lived in a corner of the basement now you know is <laughs> or fungus or mold is now spread across the whole basement right uh-huh. because the internet was like a petri dish or the right conditions to allow this thinking. So in some ways I think it's good because it sort of elevated it to visibility. Yeah. Whereas I think toxic behavior was just sort of the norm. So it is, I guess it's like a, it's like, is this a real confession? Big, 
big deal confession? I mean, I guess it is and it isn't. I know for me, it was a big thing to reckon with that. I would just ignore. I would like, you know how in your own mind you'll be like, I don't want to look at that. I, I just yeah. don't want to think about that time. I think that it was very embarrassing to think of the number of unrequited, obsessive crushes I had, the um, the sort of vi- verbal violence I would engage in if I didn't, if the girl rejected me, uh-huh. and the fact that what I had like what one girlfriend in high school. I didn't like get going till college. <laughs> I really, you know, I had one girlfriend in high school, and uh, you know, she was. I was seventeen. She was at fifteen. It was like not good. It was not that, good. That's not a weird. That in high it, school, I was bizarre, cruising but. to eighteen, and she. <laughs> so like, I think I hit eighteen when she was fifteen. Still, uh huh. That's not great. <laughs> where did this <laughs> come from? Like, what did you watch a lot of m- movies, or like, did you what? Like, where were you getting your ideas of like what relationships were supposed to be as a high schooler? I think in junior high and high school, I think there was sort of three th- factors. I think one, movies. Mm-hmm. Movie. I mean. 80s movie. I mean, and this is what's interesting. Just to, I'm going to get into movies. Just is that men's rights? What's such a shame is that there does need to be in the male community. Yeah. There does need to be organizing spaces of just men sitting and talking, but about like, like about how we step off this merry-go-round, merry-go-round of self-reinforcement and sort of bullshit machismo uh-huh. that's reinforced by media. And also look at, and this is not to be like, what about the men? Because I can already imagine the Twitter comments. But like the, the idea that like, you know, part of this issue is not going to be resolved just with uh, robust feminism, which mm-hmm. also has tons of problems in terms of like white female feminism is a huge problem in relationship to black feminism or yeah. Asian feminism or all or poverty based feminism, right? So you yeah. have all those issues that I am not qualified to speak on. <laughs> but wha- well, there's an intersectionality yeah. that yes. I think gets ignored in certain groups uh, of feminism. That yes, be- yeah. Who? So someone had a had a joke. A comedian had a joke about that where they were like, uh, "White feminism is when women uh, looked around and they're like, because I think it was like, oh, uh, white privilege, and then the woman looked around and was like." Uh, what do you mean white privilege? Uh, yeah. you mean white male privilege? And they <laughs> yeah. they coined that term because they're like, leave us out of it. Which and it's <laughs> crazy, right? I mean, it's crazy yeah. because obviously it's a different circumstance. But like, you know, as a, I mean, I'm Jewish, so I got a little break, <laughs> but I'm still white. And like, you know, whiteness has a lot to reconcile with itself, and also the notion that whiteness has weirdly become a brand yeah. that some people are attaching to regardless of their color like you're seeing this weird movement in sort of supremacy that we call white supremacy but then you have people like candace owens or ben shapiro who align with essentially with white supremacists so even there's a muddling now of exactly what does white supremacy mean what does uh racial um uh uh, you know was sort of racism mean it it Obviously, it's still rooted a lot in the basic same bullshit that it always is. But then also the left has to look at like it's, you know, it's reinforcement of racial uh, dividing norms and it's constant ignoring of those who are most in need, who are not white, who are in their constituency. Right. And that all people profited from jailing. Uh-huh. you know, people of color for uh, drug crimes, right? At, yeah. at low-level drug crimes. So there's a lot of, whatever, there's a lot of, <laughs> uh, I could go into all that. But the point being is that I think when you watch, like, 
you know, whether it's Saved by the Bell or any John Hughes movie mm-hmm. or any sitcom or, or um, uh, uh, Family Ties or look at Cheers. I'm rewatching Cheers now. And it's very interesting because it's like, you know, Diane is an intellectual. She's a yeah. smart intellectual. She's, uh, yeah, she's snobby. She's playing the classic snobby sort of New England, you know, North Shore type of like looking down your nose, Protestant Brahmin type. But what's interesting is that, yeah, you know, she is abused, mm-hmm. insulted, sexually harassed by Sam alone, right? Yeah. Constantly. Now, mind you, I think Cheers is great. I am not going to be <laughs> like Cheers is canceled. I think that's quite frankly very stupid, this idea <laughs> that we like get rid of. Unless it's like I can understand Roman Polanski. But then again, I mean, how do you not watch The Ninth Gate? No, I'm kidding. But with Johnny Depp, go watch it. It's it, it's actually a worse crime than what Polanski did. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. So (laughs) the point being that I think all those things are about men obsessing on women. Right. And also that you shoot the you shoot the bullseye. Right. You you if you do the right thing, she'll get into you. Right. And that women are made to be manipulated into loving you and that then they will love you. And then I guess you'll touch their tits like that was the thinking when you're 12 (laughs) or 13. Right. It's like all about. And I think. We have to think about what that programming is, yeah. right? My family had a lot of macho bullshit in it, right? Um, and then also, I was not. I did not really play sports. I ran. I was lithe. I was like 99 pounds, which uh-huh. I'd kill to be right now. <laughs> um, I had a big nose. And I was not what you would consider, especially in New England, especially in Massachusetts in mm-hmm. the 80s and 90s, I was not what you considered a catch, and I think that it made me then it's resent weird to think of children as catches. But I know what you mean. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, listen, I if I found me now, oh, my God, I would drug <laughs> myself and f- and sell me on the black market. But like, <laughs> I think no, I know what you mean, because there's a sense of like you are a victim of this. But it's harder for men to talk about it because of all the antagonism now but but, and it's not all totally you know false obviously there's a lot of um toxic masculinity that affects women as well and i think they should voice all of that but yes all of of it yeah Yeah. but there's men who become victims of that as well and it's it's hard because if they try to talk about it immediately there's a pitchfork mentality of like oh what do you know you weren't a woman well and i think the other thing yes i agree with that and i think it's also about people going to their corners like that's the other thing is like men don't need to I mean, you know, there doesn't need to be some public men's group that's like, what about us? We, we could just do it quietly. We don't need to, like, steal back. I mean, that's part of the problem, right? We want to steal back the spotlight. Yeah. I make think it sure. both exists. I think there's a the fallacy in a lot of MRA groups is that w- feminism cannot ex- coexist with uh, men's rights. So there's a lot of, like, oh, women are talking yeah. about this, but they're ignoring us instead of just, right. like, Oh, if we help them, maybe they can help us and right. we can all talk. And well, I think men's rights is the problem is men's rights have been co-opted by incels and sort of yes. is essentially a new right wing b- yeah. you know, pool for bullshit. <laughs> I think that it's more about like w- looking at now still what are the things we reinforce? You know, when we say yeah. terms like man up, when we yeah. call a man a bitch, right, when we call a woman a bitch, like. I get that there's colloquialisms and I don't want to be some person who's, you know, I'm not a person who thinks anything should be censored. I don't give a shit. I don't think (laughs) that that is the answer. I do think, though, that the way that we do it is by the people producing the work and what is sold and reinforced in media, just to land in media for a moment and say, like, what do we show our young boys? And then Mm -hmm. and, and what do we show our young girls? And like, why are we? 
especially at early ages, why are we dividing boys and girls? Why are we so concerned about identifying genders and making sure that boys understand they have to be this way and girls have to understand they have to mm -hmm. be that way? I think that like that's the root level. And I think that there has to be a place where where some men, not all men, because obviously, and this is always going to be true, people are going to look for excuses for their shitty behavior. But I look at it and go, I go, I was shitty. I was young. I was, that was what I did. I never did anything awful. Like I never hit anybody. You're like, you know, I drove by houses a few times because I was like crazy in 16 and was like, is she home? Yeah, wait, and so I want to hear yeah. of specifics too of like what teenage Anthony. So you would obsess over the, with these girls that you would ask out and then have real conversations with or was it I would mostly secret pining? No, uh, what I would tend to do is I would like someone, uh -huh. befriend her, okay, stay friends with her, hoping oh. that that friendship would evolve into something. Then when it didn't, I would <laughs> silently hate them in my mind. Okay. Because, and then when they liked somebody else, yeah. I would then criticize that person. I would um, uh, try to, then I would like go into like love note mode or like uh -huh. cookie candy gift or some, and usually some big embarrassing thing that you do in high school, like that you would never want to do in high school. Right, like did interrupt you, their class. I, you did that. I interrupted a girl's French class and brought her roses oh to her desk. And I'm getting embarrassed telling you now. Uh, it's like okay. it's I, embarrassing. I did that kind of stuff, but I got away with it because, as again, these stereotypes. As a girl, I could then blame it on like, oh, unrequited love. This guy doesn't love me, and I'm the victim. Yeah. But it, as opposed to like when a guy does it, it's like, well, you, you, if you were a cool man, you should be able to get the girl. You know, it's yeah. like this different. Or also like let it go and stop bothering <laughs> this girl. Stop doing this to this yeah. person. And I was very fortunate that this one girl, Allison, I ended up actually becoming very good friends with her. We actually stayed very good friends for a while. Um, uh, she passed away, but she oh, she sorry. was a very very good friend of mine uh, post high school and mm -hmm. in in our junior and senior year because I had pulled this bullshit of like <laughs> becoming friends with a girl since probably like you know I was like in fifth grade yeah gifting becoming friends wow. then being obsessive and then them me insulting them or or shitting all of them or I don't want to be your friend anymore and then them being like what happened what is going <laughs> on this uh, girl Alice I remember I. She, like, was liking somebody, uh, you know, and I had done the candy and all that bullshit, and I, like, said a bunch of nasty shit. About, I can't remember what, but I, like, yeah. started a bunch of shit. Like, did you know Allison does this? Did you? I, like, did that. Oh, like, man. spread a bunch of rumors sure. about her. And she confronted me in a study hall, and she took me out of the hallway, and she was like, I like you. I like being friends with you. We have a good friendship. You ever fucking do this again? She goes, I will <laughs> never speak to you again, and also, you will never meet anybody. You can't treat women like this. This is, like, 92. Wow. Right? And she just read me the fucking riot act. And I was so <laughs> ashamed. I was so ashamed of myself. And I went, well, I really do want to have a friendship with her. And I have to look at, and I didn't for years after that. I, I had to look at what my obsession was. And I think partly I had a very domineering mother. And so I wanted mm -hmm. to get control over women and because I couldn't have control of my own household and all that shit. There was a lot of therapy stuff. But, like, you know, that led me down a bad path of a lot of casual sex in college uh -huh. a lot of drug use a lot of like not wanting to be attached to people just wanting to have cursory physical relationships like 
it led to a place where it, I mean, I remember at a point in Los Angeles way after like I post college where I realized I was like, I don't have a single female friend. Oh, wow. And I thought there was something very deeply wrong with that. And I, yeah, I was like a misogynist. I was, yeah. I was a misogynist. I, I, uh, was not, you know, I did not have right thinking. I, I, and you know, listen, I grew up in New England. I, I, I'm amazed I dodged the racism shit and I still <laughs> had some of it growing up. I mean, hell, I was a skinhead for a very brief time. Whoa, <laughs> yeah. that's a whole other story. Well, cause I was in a hard, I was in the hardcore scene and, oh, and yeah, so I shaved my head. I, I wasn't like, but I hung out with like Nazi <laughs> kids and like, you know, would just keep quiet that I was that's Jewish. Crazy. So yeah. people would openly talk about Oh, yeah. Like hating Jewish people? Oh, yeah. But it's always... See, this is the thing. This is like why I identified this Trump shit so early. Yeah. It's not that. It's never that overt. It's talking about how, you know... It, it's always talking about how people should stay to their own. How European... Huh. You know, European culture is more superior. It's all dog whistle. Even amongst people, when they agree, you have to get yeah. really a small group of people together. And then it will get, like, really bad. Yeah, um, I mean, even that I that kind of stuff happened in college a lot. I went to NYU, which is pretty diverse, but I mean, and like we can all agree, a lot of parts of New York are very crowded just by people in general, and that can be annoying if you don't like crowds. But I remember the way people would talk about Chinatown was just like, I hate going to Chinatown. It's so crowded. And I was like, it is crowded, and it can be annoying sometimes because yeah. there are a lot of people. But what really bothered me was, and now I can pinpoint it, is it was mostly white people who would say this. And what they really meant was, there's so many Chinese people there's here. There's so many Asians Yeah, there. and they're like, they yeah. didn't like it. And yeah. that's what they didn't like. It's yes. not that there are a lot of people, it's there are a lot of Chinese people. You have learned well. <laughs> yeah. And then I was like, oh, that's why. You guys are racist. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, no, Times Square is annoying too. There's a lot of people yeah. there. Why do you guys hate Chinatown so much? Isn't that interesting? Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, and, and, and you know, this is the thing is, I feel like I'm better for it. I'm better for reflecting on that. Obviously, you know, my wife has been huge in like, you know, she's a black feminism studies mm -hmm. uh, minor. Um, and also just therapy, I guess. And also just going into, I think also I was unhappy with my life. And once yeah. I got happy with my life and I was doing comedy, it was easier. But, you know, I remember having the thoughts very early in comedy where it was like, well, if the woman's funny enough, she'll like get on stage. You know, where I wasn't even sure. thinking about the dynamic or, you know, uh, I don't think anything that's happened in the last like 15, 19 years, let's say, or last 10 years uh -huh. is bad. I don't think there's anything wrong about acknowledging that spaces haven't always been safe for people of color, for uh, uh, people with disability, people, uh, you know, women, um, you know, ageism. I think the big one is ageism. No one ever talks about ageism and the prejudice right. against elderly people specifically and, you know, against young people and broadly swathed labeling them as, you know, just selfish millennials and all this bullshit. Mm -hmm. You know, when, what we're really talking about is that social media magnifies people's 20s. And sure. guess what? In your 20s, everyone's kind of a bit of a shithead. So, yeah. like, it's not that, like, there's one specific generation that sucks. It's that when people are in their 20s, they kind of suck a little bit. Yeah. I did. Everybody does. So, like, I think that uh, the thing I got out of a lot of it was, like, what we're talking about and, like, being, you know, and I would do that in class, identifying people's dog whistle statements in the uh -huh. scene, right? Where I'd be like, well, you just basically, you know, why is it that the, the actor is black and so therefore they're a maid? Yeah. Why is that? Why do you, the white performer, always label them as, like, some worker yeah. or someone beneath you? That seems pretty fucked up, don't you think? <laughs> um, I think that, like, if I hadn't gone through the gauntlet, I guess, of my experience, 
I wouldn't um, have had the opportunity to, to become aware of a lot of those things and, and sort of not change my thinking, but just simply open and evolve my thinking. Yeah. And everyone should be doing that all the time, right? So I think that the this goes back to the cancel culture, which is I do think that this notion of taking people and saying, well, you didn't march completely perfectly your entire life and you didn't do it correctly so therefore you're out which i also think is stupid because twitter only is 13 percent of the population and who really gives a shit right No, it's super dangerous when people do that because you're yeah. just saying i don't want to deal with how uncomfortable it is to talk about this so i'm just gonna it's take the you same out. thing because it's like do you want them to change and grow then you should yeah invite them in and talk to them it's like inviting in the shadow yeah. self right like yes you should talk to them and figure it out and maybe they want to get better but if you shun them and put them aside then they keep feeling marginalized and they keep feeling right yes and then they're not going to grow and 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 again love in the sort of like classic christian sense mm -hmm. or let's say you know philosophical sense of mm -hmm. religions or is is in philosophies would be empathy, right? And yeah. compassion. And can I have compassion for a person who's hateful and in pain? And I know it's really hard, but you have to. Yeah. You have to figure out how to have compassion. That doesn't mean you endorse them or sympathize with them. It means that you understand that from within you, they are. And yeah. from within them, you are. That like there is no delineating line between people. We are all expressing at the same time. And so uh, I... Imagine, like, you know, if I had, like, I don't know, if somehow, I guess, if I had an internet history and some of my awfulness as a teenager and a young uh -huh. man had been, like, present in the world now, would that, would that basically kind of write me out as, you know, and then I think of, I think of all the classes that I learned from, yeah. all the people I taught you know, how I changed my teaching, how I have, how I in UCB, I think personally was the first person to really understand the real systemic problem in the improv mm -hmm. community of like dominant whiteness in the room. And like, you know, I think of what Sypha Sounds and I did with Take It Personal and mm -hmm. a lot of the things that would never have happened if someone earlier down the line had been like, you're this fuck off and die. Right. Yeah. And I'm not making an argument for like, we need to love the incels and because <laughs> they're insane. And I guess I shouldn't really say I was ever an incel because, no, but, but like, you know, I, know I was a hateful, mean. young, toxic yeah. man. And, and I, I know what you mean. And it's almost like it, it takes a lot of courage to say that. And so that shows that you actually have done the work to grow and change and learn. And we're still learning. I mean, I'm not perfect either. But if we were to just be like, cancel him, then that's really sad because like, think about all like, Think of all the stuff you've added to the conversation that we would have lost out on because yeah. we'd be like, get out of the conversation. And I, it's it, even interesting because when you said that, I, I thought like I almost like for me, even though I was a woman, still I'm a woman. <laughs> but I uh, thank you so much. Um, <laughs> but I'm guilty of toxic behavior, too. Like I remember in my early 20s, just the idea of like trying to care less in a relationship or try to get the guy to like you more so you don't text back. All of that's toxic because it's yeah. like, why not just own up to how you feel, say say what you want, and then if they don't want it, then you should be like, you don't want it. And yeah. it's the same thing. Why was yes. I trying to get someone to want something they didn't inherently oh God. want? Yes, right? because, but, and, and the thing is, is it's hard because you have to look at yourself and what it is, yeah. and that... You know, there's a part of you that's like, please love me. I want to be yeah. loved and I love you. Please love me. And it's so it's rooted in some place that's not awful. It just manifests itself. Yeah. And I think that we aren't we have to be more forgiving of each other that also like 
everybody fucks up. Yeah. Everybody fucks up. And listen, there's a big difference between criminality, sure. right? You know, people do criminal behavior. I'm not saying like Harvey Weinstein needs to be like loved. Um, it, I'll say the hard one is, is to go to look at Harvey Weinstein or let's look at Donald Trump and go, cause I've had to do this. Mm-hmm. How do I look at him and go, what was that toddler like? Yeah. What was that home like? Yeah, maybe there's some things that are genetic. Maybe there's some things that are just root of self. Yes, I can believe in the bad seed. And I don't know if I believe in the bad seed, but you know, in the idea of just someone being born terrible. Um, I think people are born with broken brains. I yeah. think that you know, there's and I. But again, I don't think that like John. I don't think that um, John Wayne Gacy or Ted Bundy. I don't think those people in their mind, they're not like, I'm broken. They're like, no. I got it all fucking worked out. Well, you're, you're talking about not excusing behavior, but still trying to understand it. Because yeah. We're not saying just because you understand that someone's human and, and needs to be loved. We're saying that their behavior is That I endorse okay. them and think they're yeah. great. But, but that's such a hard thing. People yeah. don't have... I find that when the minute you speak to that, right, people immediately are like, shut up, shut up. (sighs) And I think that even though I'm not religious at all, I think that's like the perfect like, you know, which I think the, you know, the Bible's a myth. The Christ myth is that myth, right? It's the person who's like, hey, like, I think we got to do this simple thing. And everyone being like, shut the fuck up. We're trading in the temple, asshole. We're like hanging with the Romans and the Jews (laughs) or whatever. Like, we don't want to deal with your bullshit. And like, I think it's evolved into obviously like white fascism, which is what evangelical (laughs) Christianity really is. But like. I think, and I don't mean like the good. Obviously, there's good evangelicals, but let's super church motherfuckers. We know what we're talking about. Yeah, they're about, so right? toxic. And they're it's toxic, all awful, crazy, yeah. scammed people. Um, well, Sarah Silverman said something yeah. interesting last night. I watched her talk, and she said, because she has that show where she, you know, she connects to people of all different views, and she said, I don't. She's like, I uh, am mad at liars, but not the lied to. Or so, I'm paraphrasing. Yes. But the people who are the lied to in the, these mega churches who believe it, they're not. It's they're like the disenfranchised and like they might yes. asp- they might repeat what they're being told. But just because they say that doesn't mean they're bad. Yes. They're just delight to, you know. Yeah, I think it's a mix because there's I, I agree with that to a certain degree. But I also think that you you do have to take responsibility for the thing that the company you keep. Sure. And I also think that it's a it. This is where it's a foggy bottom. Yeah. Because, you know, we want to inherently believe that, you know, the what is it the arc of uh, the arc of history bends towards justice right Mm -hmm. that like that we want to believe that there is sort of this rightness right this like we're supposed to be loving we're supposed to be this but again we're coming from a particular perspective right and there are people there who go no i'm loving and i died and i'm all this but i believe this right yeah and that's where you get into the murky space of we can never command someone's internal philosophy right you're never going to stop everyone from being racist, even if you change all media, even if you educate everyone in a school, there's always going to be people who are racist. There's going to be people who are sexist. There could be people who are homophobic. There'll be people who hate their neighbor. There's going to be people who still throw trash out. Regardless, it won't matter. There will always be a nominal amount of the population that's going to go against the grain, right? Yeah. And uh, the the I think the the better solution is to figure out how we create institutions and protections Mm -hmm. that keep some sort of balance in society 
that keep people at bay and that and one of the things is to leave religious philosophy uh-huh. out of our governing which is yeah. baked into the imperfect document by a bunch of slave owners yeah. so like <laughs> i mean if those <laughs> assholes who also didn't want to give women a right to vote so if those assholes right. could do that like they were straight up dicks basically and they were like keep religion out of it so like if they if our founding fathers who were syphilis riddled <laughs> raping fucking like dicks if they knew that, uh-huh. then imagine like evolved people who aren't like that. <laughs> we should all be backing that up because there's a difference between internal philosophy and religion as a doctrine, which essentially becomes a super governmental policymaker yeah. uh, that is in opposition to the government. Uh, and it's fine if it's in opposition to the government in its like little church or wherever mosque or synagogue or temple yeah. or whatever. But the minute it bleeds into, which it has like completely law, it permeated, be a part of law. and it has, and even yeah. though we say, "Oh, separation of church and state," b- bullshit. Pete Buttigieg or whatever his name is, right, has to talk about his God and all this. I, I gotta tell you something. I don't give a fuck. I don't want to hear about P- Buttigieg's God. I don't care about God when you're running for president. I don't care about God in right. leadership. It shouldn't be allowed. God doesn't put the stop sign at the corner of my intersection. The the transportation department does. Yeah. God doesn't pass health care for children. A legislature does. Yeah. Okay? Because God uh, isn't real, isn't a person. Uh-huh. And if anything, the thing we label God is some unexplainable experience that we are not going to know until we die or, I guess, if we meditate. And we're still not going to understand it because it's not meant to be in our conscious world, which goes directly back to religious doctrine, which is do not presuppose the nature of God. So I don't even yeah. understand what anyone's doing except that they're charlatans who are <laughs> manipulating uh, uh, any, it, you know, well, whatever. it kind of comes back Sorry. to trying anyway, to. No, 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 I was a piece of shit when I was a teen. But no, I mean, like, just to kind of sum it up, what you just said, like, to me, it feels like people with God and religion are trying to, f- again, find someone outside of themselves to blame. Right. So it's like, if we can acknowledge that this thing outside that we can't ever prove, or really, like, who knows if it's true or not, uh, is going to play a big part, then really, no matter what we decide, it's not really our decision. Right. And even with the incel stuff, like, you know, you didn't really understand women and you couldn't, they could be a scapegoat. You could think, oh, because I'm not getting this girl to give me what I want, that's why I'm unhappy. So you don't have to take ownership of like yeah. your life. Um, and sexual insecurity. Yeah. Because men, because we are taught that it's about conquer. Yeah. It's about conquering and that you're not a man. I mean, think how fucked this is. Well, it's how does it feel if a woman at that time was like into you? Did it take I away the few, appeal? I had a few girls were into me, and I you weren't into hated it. it. Didn't yeah. like it because you didn't feel like you had to uh, win them. Because uh, yeah, didn't have to win them. It was all about control. It wasn't about the person. Yeah. And granted, I'm 12, 13, 14, 15. Th- that you know, you're all fucking t- <laughs> tossed around like that. You know, at that age. But that's no excuse because there's plenty of young men in my class who didn't do that, right? Who weren't like obsessive weirdos, you know, and maybe they were cooler, or maybe they, who knows? And I can't be inside the people. But you I don't was know what they, they may have been showing one thing and and not actually. I have yeah. seen some old high school friends that we've taught, and it's been oh, interesting yeah. to talk about what our perspective was actually, and uh, you know, and I was not some. I mean, I was the president of my high school. I was, yeah. you know, very. I was actually. I mean, I was the rare exception. I was actually <laughs> quite popular in high school. You know, in comedy, it's like, you know, I was, but I was funny and I don't know. I I did fine. I, by the end of high school, I was fine, but I think 
you know, from junior high through to like sophomore year before I got that smackdown from Allison. <laughs> but again, I also think that this is another thing, which is why do women have to teach? You know, it's not women's responsibility to teach men. It's not women's responsibility to constantly correct and make men better people. Men should be doing that for each other and, and as well. Everyone should yeah. be doing that for everyone. And, and I think that, you know, one of the, pro the, the things I have a lot of pride in, um, you know, you know, to bring it to the comedy community for a second sure. was like, and this is not my, I guess this is a little bit of bragging, but I, I'll be fine with that. I always brought a lot of women into my show. Mm -hmm. I always had a lot of female comics. I always had a lot of comics of color on Tony's show. And in my class, I did the thing. Well, I don't know if it's right or wrong. I compensated. If yeah. someone, if women and people of color got top priority in my class, because I see a dime a dozen young white men. Yeah. And, and I used to say this in the class. I go, you guys are the biggest problem in the room. <laughs> and it's true. And it's okay. It's okay for me to accept that I know. I grew up knowing untouchable. I was untouchable, basically. I knew I would get a job. I knew I wouldn't have to worry about anything. I never have to worry when I take a walk at night. I don't have to worry about where I'm going. There's all these things I would take for granted, right? I can leave the CVS and the alarm goes off and they let me go, right? Uh -huh. I don't have to worry about any of that stuff. And the truth is that, um, I mean, my belief is, is that we should be in a world where everybody doesn't have to worry about that stuff, yeah. right? And so uh, it's incumbent upon me because of, you know, and granted, again, I have that little bit of Jew and God knows right now is <laughs> not a great time to admit that. So I do understand that. And I understand in my own way. I was in a very poor city that everyone, uh -huh. when they met you, they go, oh, you're from Chelsea. Oh, you know, they, so, you know. Every person, some people, do have the experience of understanding what it is like to be marginalized in different ways. It's not comparative. It's not like, yeah. oh, I get what like you went through or what someone of color goes through. I'm not saying that. You're empathizing. I'm empathizing. I'm saying I basically can understand some basic ideas about marginalization. Yeah. And so uh, what's you know uh, good is for you to wake up to that and go, how do I make sure that I am really uh, mindful mm -hmm. of marginalization in when it's in front of me. And guess what? I fail a lot. I don't always pay attention. I've had, you know, even in the present show, I had times when the writer would come up and go, hey, you know, you kind of said something that was a little not fair. You didn't really come at it. And I, I just listened and went, yeah. okay. And sometimes I go, okay, well, I didn't mean it that way. I'll, I'll change. And sometimes I'd listen and go, I don't, I, I don't really get it. Okay. And, yeah. and I would just think about it and leave it alone. It's that's human, right? But that's good. I mean, it shows the fact that people could come up to you and say that means that you uh, are a very open person, and that goes back to like you being able to talk about your past and how you've changed. Because oh, there are God. some people who don't aren't worth even bringing stuff up like that. Not actually, right? Everyone is worth, but sometimes I'm like, I don't even want to have this argument with well, some the person. Some people are much harder slog, right? Because they don't actually want to learn, or they don't want to listen at all. They just want to be right. Yeah. And in my mind, I'm like, I'm. I, you know, I'm not always right. And I like to talk to people because I like to engage and hear and then try to be changed by that. Yeah. So the fact that you're, you know, even in, on your own show, people came up to you and felt comfortable. That's like a very good quality. Yeah, it was pretty good. <laughs> yeah. So they, th so that's, I guess that was my big thing. I, yeah. you know, I don't think I, I've, I never really have ever talked about that. 
Well, thank you for sharing <laughs> that. Um, I had a quick game to play. Oh, it let's play. It might be a little it. long, but we'll just—I'll shorten it. Well, it's whatever. I'm it's a—it's a, a Reddit subreddit uh, called "Am I the Asshole?" Okay. Which, uh, um, basically, people will ask, "Am I the asshole?" and then they kind of give a situation. You like the Reddit, right? Yeah, I like to go on Reddit sometimes. Yeah. Well, I'll pull a thing for this. I podcast. have a Reddit account. Oh, you do? I, yeah. I go on it once in <laughs> a while. I, I go on a lot because I also write for um, a YouTube show, and I feel like we're always scouring for things. But okay. people kind of go on and you know describe the situation, and then the Reddit community says if they're an asshole or not. So okay. I'll uh, summarize. Some of them are long, so I'll just do the short version, and then um, y we can guess if uh, they were the asshole or not, and then I'll tell you what Reddit said. Okay, cool. Cool. All right. Okay, so here's the first one. Um, am I the asshole for suddenly not showing up to work after my boss told me not to if I ever run late again? Here's the quick summary. A couple weeks ago, I arrived late at work. My boss got mad, told me I have to show up on time or else I shouldn't bother showing up anymore. Uh, and then last Monday, I ran late again, realized I wasn't going to come in on time, tried to call my boss to tell him. He couldn't answer. Then I went home, found another job. I'm starting next Monday. My boss called me on Monday and asked me where I was. I told him I was running late, so I have to quit. He got mad and asked me to see him on Friday in his office. So basically, he wants to know, am I the asshole of this situation? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. You're the asshole because... <laughs> you're the asshole because, okay, you're showing... I mean, God knows, I've shown up, I show up late to my own job, to my own show. Yeah. So like I, I kn being late is bad. Uh -huh. It's something, a huge problem I have. I've really worked on it. I was late by 10 minutes today <laughs> because of the train. Yes. But there's no excuse. I mean, it, you know, it's harder and harder in New York if you take the train, but like, uh, there's no, you know, you, you're supposed to be on time. And if you're not on time, your boss is justified to be upset with you. But for you, <laughs> if you decide you want to get another job, Give notice to your boss yes. and go to the other job. <laughs> like, you don't get to be, I mean, that's what a fucking yeah. asshole. Agreed. And Reddit says, correct, they are an asshole. Yeah, Good. it's just fun. It is a funny thing to be like, haha. But also, it's like, yeah, no, if you didn't like your job, just get another job and yeah. don't, pr and don't you put can, it on the boss. And listen, you can be the asshole. I mean, I've <laughs> done that. I've left the job and gone to another job, but just own that you're the, yeah, asshole. You're the asshole. That's all. Yeah. Um, here's one. Am I the asshole for going to my sister's dream school when she just got rejected? Um, this is very long, so I'll summarize. Basically, this person is a twin. <gasps> got into Cornell. Congratulations, person. You're a um, twin. But she says, can I say that? You can, yeah. Okay. I have a twin. People know that. Okay. My twin sister is the opposite of me. She's a genius. She has way more impressive stats, blah, blah, blah. Everyone looked up to her, and she's the smart one. So basically, she's this girl applies. They both apply. She, only she gets into Cornell and her sister gets into NYU and oh, she wants to <laughs> she wants Jesus. to know if she goes oh so she basically is this called white people problems thread <laughs> I know they're both great schools but I like this one because she's a twin so she okay. said um, her sister wants her to go to the same school as her because she said the one thing she was looking forward to to cheer her up after all this of not getting into her dream school was that she would go to the same school as her twin sister. But this girl really wants to go to Cornell because she got in. She's not an asshole. That's very manipulative of her other sister. I understand it. But the other truth is every person who anticipates, like, we're going to college together. Mm -hmm. It never works out, guys. <laughs> Nobody who goes to college together stays close friends. Yeah. Very, if ever, does that happen. You go to college within a week of orientation. <laughs> you're like, oh, these are way cooler people. Mm -hmm. Then you'll ditch the freshman friends. You'll keep two or three of them, and then <laughs> sophomore year you'll get into your real crew, and then you know, junior and senior year will be like that group of friends who you'll probably maintain relationships with to some degree for the rest of your life. And whoever that you went to school with, 
you'll forget him. This yeah. is your fucking sister. You'll see her. You'll see her <laughs> at holidays. You can go visit each other. Plus, twice the school. That's twice the, twice the like friends. parties, friends, yeah. hookups. It's like, what are you that's talking true. about? Yeah, the best things you can do for a relationship probably is to go to a different school. Yeah. Um, agreed. Reddit agrees. She's not the asshole. But I thought this was interesting because she did an update after um, this post. She said, I told my parents and they did not react how I would have expected them to. They tried to insist that Cornell made a mistake between our applications, oh. which would be impossible. Obviously, it's impossible. Um, then they God. basically, her parents are still insisting that her sister is the smart one. And I just feel so bad for this girl because I bet all her life, the fact that she describes her sister as a smart one, I'm like, I bet they're not that different. Can I tell you what I think her sister is? Her sister's the sociopath, probably. <laughs> because I don't think she's the smart one. Yeah. I think she's the one who's conned her parents into believing she's the smart one because it seems to me like the jig was up when she yeah. fucking didn't get into <laughs> Cornell and her other quiet sister or whatever got in. Yeah. So... Uh, that's absurd. If her parents don't let her go to Cornell, they're awful parents, and she should disown all of them. Yeah, I think she's gonna go, and and I, but I just I I like this one a lot because I was like, oh, with twins, it's like don't let people label yeah. you. I mean, you'll both be fine probably. It seems like you're both going to good schools, but I I hope. I feel for this girl who's still saying her sister's yeah. a smart one after all this. You, I asked you this before. You have a twin language? I have a, uh, no, not like a secret language. Like, <laughs> like, like, like that? <laughs> That's racist. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. It wasn't even Chinese sounding. <laughs> not Chinese. No, we don't have. Uh, yeah, we're Taiwanese. Taiwanese. Uh, but, you know, same historically at some point. Uh, well, no, I believe Taiwan should be part of China personally. We <laughs> and with that note, uh, thank you so much for coming oh, no. on the show, Anthony. <laughs> well, you don't have one more? Um, no, we're, no out okay, we're out of time. Um, <laughs> uh, well, this is a quick one, and you can just say your answer. I won't read the whole thing. If I ask my pre uh, am I the asshole if I asked my pregnant wife to move out because she and her best friend decided to test my loyalty? Oh, what do they have? Like a lesbian thing? Her basically, her f her friend hit on this guy at the uh, without knowing, like he didn't know it was a friend, and then she he passed, quote unquote, and so he was like, "What the fuck? Why would you test my loyalty?" I don't even understand that. I, I, I uh, did they cheat? No, but she his wife who's pregnant. The pregnant wife hit on someone. His pregnant wife sent a friend who this guy doesn't know to go hit on to proposition her husband. To trick him. Oh. He passed the test. She said, oh, my God, I thought you were cheating. I'm so glad you passed the test. Now we can be together. I trust you. And oh he no. was like, Bye. I don't trust you uh, now. How's this? I would say couples therapy. Yeah. Couples yeah, yeah. therapy. Yeah, let's, the pregnant part makes it complicated, but I, I really think the wife is totally wrong the here. Wife is don't an ever asshole. do this shit. Wife is an that asshole. is crazy. It's Just manipulative. Talk. Yeah, totally. Thank you. This is a wonderful podcast, by the way. <laughs> and I know that I, I don't want to sound paternalistic, but I'm very <laughs> proud of you from when I met you in 101. Oh, thank so you. Quiet, <laughs> right? And yes. now it's very shy. a little less quiet. No, still I'm still a little quiet. <laughs> <laughs> I am. I'm really proud of you. It's really impressive. Oh, uh, thank you so much. Thank you for having me on. I, I'm sure this will, you know, ruin me online. No, no, no. no, no I'm no. kidding. This is great. <laughs> I, um, it was a very great conversation. I feel like I learned a lot. And uh, but if people want to follow you, where can they find you? At Tony Atamanik, A T A M A N U I K, on Twitter. If you just type in at uh, at Tony A T A, you'll find it. Yeah. And the real actual Tony on Instagram. 
Uh, and go to Comedy Central, watch old episodes of The Present Show, or watch me on What We Do in the Shadows. Yeah. And buy my book, American Tantrum, the Donald J. Trump Presidential Archive, written by myself and Neil Casey. Uh, it's an incredible book from HarperCollins, available on Barnes & Noble, Amazon, and anywhere you can find fine books. Yeah, buy his book. Go see him at Comic-Con and follow this podcast at Tell Me Anything Pod. Thank you, guys. Goodbye. Bye.